You're listening to the Substandard Model. So, today we're going to be talking about a few things. Um, islands and some of my favourite island endemics and why they're so good at being island endemics. But um, as usual, I get a bit distracted, so get ready for that. Enjoy. Yeah. I'm just going to do this. I'm not even going to build up to it. I'm going to put this on. <laughs> is that what you usually wear when we're not filming video? What's happened is I, 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 I found I had to wear this hat as like part of a sort of family in joke. Mm. And I discovered to my, you know, delight that it's actually really comfortable and I've right. been wearing it all the time. I think this is more Is that a deer stalker? Is it? Scandinavian. Yeah, well, what are these? I thought then? deer stalker had like a little Deer stalker's a tweedy. And then it had a bit at the back. I don't think it is a deer stalker. What is it then? I don't know. I'm going to find it. It's called a Yushanka. Yushanka. So Yushanka. Yushanka. I've got my Yushanka, my by podcasting Yushanka, my lucky mm. Yushanka, mm. and I'm ready mm. for our first fact. Which is? Which is kind of like a six to seven, eight facts run, and it starts with an anecdote, Henry. From your personal right. life. Yep. The best kind of anecdote. Mm. We were, what well, we were doing, a, a transect, a scientific transect research transect looking for birds and as we were walking around in the middle of the night um a stick fell on top of my head like it, it landed on my head basically and like stuck to my eye and i thought well this morning can't get any better a stick then, stuck to your eye right really got it really got me on. really yeah. got its hooks into me and then the stick started climbing up my face and it was at that moment that i realized this isn't a stick this is a really really big stick insect so I took, got the stick insect and I, I showed it to our scientists and he, he went, oh, fuck, that's the biggest stick insect I've ever seen here. Let's ever put it seen. in this. Yeah, let's put it in this, in this tub and then we'll take it back to the lady who specializes in insects and see what she has to say. And we didn't, we sort of put it in the tub, didn't fit in the tub. So we kind of had to like bend it around. I felt a bit bad. I wasn't feeling great. Did it I was stop kind of... moving after you bent <laughs> it around? <laughs> Listen, the welfare of the stick insect is going to be called into question later in the anecdote. For, for now, for now, he was actually not doing too badly. Or should I say she, because it's probably pathogenic. Um, but that doesn't, that doesn't matter. Um, I, I was feeling a bit bad because if the stick insect hadn't landed on me, hadn't chosen me, mm. you know, it wouldn't be in this position. Mm. But when we got back after our, after our science, we took it to Erica and she said, that's weird. I'm going to tweet my friend who knows about stick insects, see what he thinks it is. And the friend came back and said, I think you've discovered a new species of stick insect. Did you, were so, you able to claim it? Well, I, I asked, I asked for it to be named after Alana and she said, she'll see what she can do. But the thing is, the why thing didn't was, she say no? No, Pickett's a terrible name. You Pickett's know, a great in, name. You know, you know, have you seen Fantastic Beasts? Have you seen Fantastic Beasts? There's a stick insect uh, in that film whose name is Pickett. Sam. 
Maybe you could have you could have called it spicket stick insect. That would have been great. Spicket's spicket stick. Spick stick. In spick stick. <laughs> stick. I could have done that. But I think I think the thing the thing with insect samples is that you collect them all, you kill them all. You have to kill them. So I felt so we ha- I had to watch this lady like pin it down and drown it in alcohol and I felt terrible. But you know. Um so then, then you take them all back in your suitcase and you get in your shed and then you look at them, you go through them and dissect all their genitals for the next eleven years of your life. And then like like she's still doing the samples she collected in the eighties in the Philippines. Like you don't I describe like... the species now. You describe the species in a very long time. So, you know, I'm pro- <laughs> but but I probably discovered a new species, you know, of stick insect, right? That's the anecdote. And it's huge. Oh, which means it's got forearm. you know it's got lots of cloutable ability. You know, do you yeah, have any pictures of it? Uh, yeah. I mean, this isn't the fact, but I have. A, I think so. There you go. That's that's me holding the stick insect. That's good enough. That's good enough. That'll be fine. Well, you've got I'll the video un, now. So. Un, currently unnamed, Sam discovered a new species of stick insect. It discovered me. Oh, I think I'm going to say Sam was discovered by a new species of insect. <laughs> but that got me thinking about stick insects. And um, the one, what do, what do you think the one thing more impressive? Right, like I, I think I think at this point my life's peaked. I've discovered a new species of stick insect. Um, but there's, I think there's one thing I could aspire to that's more impressive. Um, than that, which is not discovering a species of stick insect, but is in fact rediscovering a species of stick insect. Now that, that is something that you want to do. Rediscover something that, uh, an old favorite, you're bringing back into the game. And redis- I would rather rediscover a species than discover a species. Redis- rediscovery is when it was thought to be in- extinct. Yes. And then uh, we've, we've talked about again. stuff like this before. So remember Juan's weasel? In his toilet, the Colombian weasel. Wasn't that discovered though? Because they'd never seen it. No, they had seen it in camera traps, but they'd only had, I don't think they had any live sightings. They had specimens, so it had been described. So these species are often species that have been described and then like not seen for a long time. I think, I think that's a since deleted episode actually that we're talking about, isn't it? Are you kidding me? I think it is. Yeah. You deleted that. That's one of my favorite. weasel's gone. Yeah. No. I can, I... I can send you the audio. And you can edit it into the end of this episode. I think it's on the YouTube as well, actually. They could probably okay. just find this guy found his weasel in his basement. A presumed extinct species, which I think is only presumed when it hasn't been sighted for about 50 years, but it depends on the taxa. If it's been presumed extinct, declared extinct, there's been searches for it, it hasn't been found, and then it's rediscovered. That's mm-hmm. called a Lazarus taxon. But... um. I'm digressing pretty hard right now, and I do that a lot. But I need to get on with what I'm going to talk about, which is a rediscovery of a stick insect. Right. So I'm going to talk about islands quite a bit, um, basically. And this, this, this is. I want to take you down, down near Australia, just off New South Wales, quite a while off New South Wales, to Lord Howe Island. Lord okay. Howe Island. Lord Howe Island. It's not very big. It is about. 6.2 miles long and one mile wide at its widest point. So it's small. It's a small island. Considering its size, it's quite impressive. It has some has some little birds, has has like endemic tea plant, it has some palms, it's got some reefs. It's quite a cool little island considering how irrelevant it is. 
Um, and one of the things that you know um, that people knew about it, people found it quite a while ago. Uh, like 1788 was the first European visit when they were kind of figuring out what Australia was. They found these big white birds. They're called um, Lord Howe Wood Wood Hens, which are quite cool. Basically, a dodo situation. They all died immediately. Um, and the reason they all died immediately is, well, w- w- Henry, what do you think are the things that kill island endemics most? Like, whose fault is it usually? You know, disease. No, not all disease. disease. Really, in this case, was not the biggest problem. Island it was a slight, endemics. It was a, was a bit of a problem. Uh, yeah, falling so, coconuts. <laughs> well, once we arrived. We brought rats. The, the thing that kills island endemics is introductions. Right. That's oh, that's a rule. Sorry, I thought you were talking about animals who've been introduced. I've misjudged that. Oh, right. Yeah. Island endemics are the ones that are native there and only live there. And if you're an island endemic, worst case scenario is someone brings rats, goats, pigs, anything that we tend to bring everywhere with us. Um, and they brought rats to Lord Howe Island. And what do you know? Within 20 years, everything was fucked. They ate all the nests of all the birds. The Lord Howe Pigeon was gone. Lord Howe Woodhem was gone. Yeah, it was a nightmare. But not only these lovely, beautiful animals was gone, there was a stick insect, which was quite common on Lord Howe Island, very common. It was really big. It was thick. This isn't common for a stick. Stick insects are usually kind of spindly and sticky. This guy was like a big stick of licorice. It's a really log insect. It's a lovely stick insect. It's one of my favorites. They're like, they're not that long, but they're chunky. They're really chunky. They're called the Lord Howe Island stick insect. And they're super unique. Their ecology is really interesting. They kind of only eat some of these like uh, broadleaf things. Like they eat the endemic tea plants and stuff. And they're, they're oddly common and oddly abundant for a stick insect. Their ecology is a bit different. They don't rely on crypsis at all. So often what happens when you're an endemic is you lose a lot of your defenses because there aren't so many predators. And a stick insect's main defense is looking like a stick. So just imagine a stick insect that doesn't care so much about looking like a stick anymore because there's nothing to eat it. So it's essentially just bulked up. It's living its best life. It's it's what a stick insect wants to be if everything stopped eating it all the time. You can really mm. you can really mm. get a sort of lust for life vibe from this animal. It's having a great time. Um, and the insects have no wings. So most stick insects have wings that can fly around. These insects don't have any wings, mm. um, which is which makes sense because they're actually they have they they don't need to move around a lot. They don't need to and they were quite chunky, and they were chunky exactly. They're quite heavy. They're about twenty five grams, which for an insect is reasonably big. Well, it's more than a vampire bat. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. It is a fair amount. And my favorite fact about them is that they're pair bonding. They love each other. When they're in captivity, they sleep next to each other. Hmm. Wait, like so this is really unique. Get a behavior. bigger group that would split off into individual pairs. Exactly. Yeah, and they would just spend time with each other. I mean, male, the pairs female of the pairs. Same gender. Oh, female, female. You no, know, male, female pairs usually. Oh, male, female. Right. But not exclusively. Not exclusively. But it's it's highly unusual for a, for a, um for an insect to do this. Uh, it's just quite nice. I, I you know they they and their babies are bright green, but then they get darker and red, and then they become black as an adult. They're really unique, right? There's a lot to love about these guys. So it's sad when they died. Now. There was a paper published in 2001 where these scientists had a hypothesis that there were a few smaller islands around Lord Howe Island, islets, as they called them, that maybe, just maybe they had enough tiny bushes on them to support maybe a few of these stick insects. Maybe the bigger ones of these small islands might be able to support a small population. 
So it's worth checking. And this is the kind of shit people say all the time. I'm going to be honest, Australia has a bad reputation when it comes to rediscovery because they are pretty wacko a lot of the time. Like they're constantly sending out these search parties for thylacines. They do it every year. They've been doing it for like 30 years. They, they To be fair, they did find a night parrot, which we didn't think they would they would do. The, the, one, one of these absolutely crazy dudes who thought that a night parrot was still alive when everyone else said that it had died, he went out and he was actually right and he found a few. Um, but there's not really uh, any knowledge about their ge- geographical distribution and their, the sightings are really unreliable. That sounds but... really cool, just as like a story for sort of movie capability. So Henry seemed pretty interested in the uh, the Night Parrot, and rightly so. It's a great story, and maybe one day I'll do a fact on it. But um, I thought it'd be nice if I could play, well, some of the recordings that first led to the rediscovery of the species after almost 100 years. Yeah, so I'll, anyway, I'll... I'll play it for you now. Yeah, there you go. That's the night parrot. I mean, Australia is like a place where you get a lot of these really devoted people looking for rediscoveries. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of these really charismatic species which become like legends. They become like cryptids. It's like it would, yeah, it would be a good documentary idea to follow a person who's looking for a, like a night parrot who would become so elusive. And if they found it at the end of the documentary in whatever dark alleyway they found in the outback or something, and they say, there it is, that would be so sick. It's, Just I mean, like a, it's, it's very cinematic. Risky. It is, yeah, exactly. It's risky. But, you know, they, 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 there's a lot of people out there that are like that. And I think it's a good thing because occasionally they're right, even if most of the time they're crazy. And often you can't tell whether they're crazy or right. Mm. Well, uh, in 2003, a research team from New South Wales went to a few of these islets. They were not having a huge amount of success. And they went to one of the smaller ones called Ball's Pyramid. Ball's Pyramid was an absolutely absurd place to suggest that these guys were still hanging on. It is a huge jutting out mountain essentially 551 meters above sea level it's basically goes straight up it's like a ridge like a knife edge that cuts out of the ocean quite far 500 meters 500 meter mountain that just sticks right up out of the ocean right it's it's crazy it's it's a really really strange strange formation and it's essentially all rock there's a few shrubs on there, really low-lying shrubs, but that's not the kind of habitat you want for a stick insect. Stick insects like broadleaf forest, like they could maybe deal with lower lower hanging shrubs, but like it was, it seemed crazy to look there. And this this research team, I think, what did they do? They scaled 120 meters of grassy, low-angled slope. They just found crickets, and then they they went they went higher and higher, and then they found a sort of collection of really odd dark poo or one of the shrubs. And then as they got higher and higher, they hadn't found any individuals so far. And then they found this huge compost heap of dead plant matter, completely like decayed vegetation. And they thought, I mean, it's worth looking. And in this, in this tiny area of shrubs that's on the jutting edge of a cliff, they found 24 Lord Howe Island stick insects. They rediscovered it en masse in the least... It's probably the most surprising rediscovery in history, and it's complete. It's famous. People didn't really know what to do with them. They were kind of inbred, but that didn't stop them. Um, because the thing with thick insects is they lay a lot of eggs because they can essentially clone themselves. 
So they've got a bunch sent into Melbourne Zoo, sent into Bristol Zoo, sent them all around the world, got a reintroduction program going, and they're trying to reintroduce them back to Lord Howe Island. I mean, once the rats are gone, which they pretty much are at this point, it's going to seem like, I think it's going to be a pretty successful reintroduction. And they're, they're getting quite a lot of public support for this species, which is nice because it's not something you see so much for insects. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think it's got a pretty bright future. Um, but I've actually got a bit more to talk about when it comes to islands. Um, and I, I got, I, I read about this. I read about this a while ago. And I think, I think what really caught my attention wasn't actually the, the stick insect. Something I mentioned earlier. It was the rail. Do you remember the 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 wood hen, the Lord Howe wood hen? Yes. And so, something I something I've noticed about the world is that there's a lot of islands in the world, and pretty much every one of these islands, tiny islands with mostly nothing going for them, maybe a few seabirds, maybe a few vagrants. Pretty much all of them have a rail that they just have that lives there there are about what is it i think 152 species of rail and i'd say a hundred a huge number of those are island endemics you have stuff like there's like a there's rails literally everywhere like Calian rail new guinean rail galapagos rail and clenku rail essentially every polynesian island has a rail every small island in asia has a rail um the inaccessible island rail is my personal favorite rail um, because it sounds so hardcore, yeah, and it's a small, repressed, emotionally repressed, and it's a small. You don't know what they're thinking. They're you very don't. Inaccessible. No, it's it's the smallest flightless bird in the world. Mm. They essentially run around like mice on this tiny island, which is slap bang sandwiched in between Africa and South America. Nice. And basically, the hardest place to get to in the entire world, and people go every year on these trips to an inaccessible island, often on the way back from Antarctica to try and see to try and research this bird or to see see this bird and it's like kind of a legend and like it's quite cool like the 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 island itself is really odd because it's part of this archipelago called tristan de cuna where there are people that live there native native people who've been living there for thousands of years and it's like what the fuck (laughs) The, the the things these people like have to do to survive and that they have been doing and like the things that they've like the kind of culture on this island is absurd how resilient they are like they live essentially with, with seabird colonies and when we just when we colonized it it wasn't exactly i don't think it was our best and brightest of her majesty's sailors that really got there like if you look at a map of the island like the the, the, the highest point is called like joe's hill and there's like the stony cove, and there's a there's a cliff. Well, well done, Jay. <laughs> there's a cliff, which is this is my favorite feature of the island. There's a cliff called where the pig fell off, and that's on Google Maps. That's an official location. Where the, <laughs> where the pig fell off. Where the pig fell off. All hyphenated. Where the where the pig fell off. I feel the cliff. We could just have a moment of silence for this pig, but also <laughs> similarly, is this you know possibly inspired? Uh, what is it called? Uh, that book, Lord of the Flies. Oh, you think? I mean, there's yeah, a where lot. That Piggy was... got hit by a rock, which fell oh, off a cliff. Where Piggy fell off, and he died. Yeah, there, there's where Piggy, and there's the beach that's called where Simon was brutally cannibalized by his peers. That's in it. <laughs> and then there's what else happened? It sort of in that makes book? you wonder what the story was. Yeah, exactly. I wonder what it was like these early 
be like, yeah, it's 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 sweet. It's a fun little island. I got I went down a bit of an island rabbit hole, and I was wondering why is it there are so many rails everywhere? What is it about rails? Like this this is it to do with their genes? Are they really good at speciating? Like I had no clue what was going on. I think it's a little boring. I think it is in the end because they are. I'm going to say they're just the right level of flightless. They they can just about fly from a mainland to an island. They can just make it. But they can't right. do continent to a continent. Or... Well, the thing is, so they, they can just make it to the next island across. They have really weak flight muscles, like 12 to 15% of their body weight devoted to flight muscles, which is small for a proportion for an animal. They can just about fly decent distances, but it's easy for the wind to blow them off course. So they're common vagrants. They often end up where they're not supposed to be. So they mm. often end up in these islands that they can just about get to. And the thing is, really quick, because they can only just fly, it does not take long, almost a few generations. There are some there are some rails. I think it was the the Kayara rail, which evolved flightlessness in like maybe a thousand years from from being able to fly. They evolved flightlessness really, really quickly. And that's the same reason as the second, the second sect evolved flightlessness. There's no predators. So mm. they don't need to fly. Once you can stop devoting all your energy to building flight muscles that you're so barely these, using anyway, they just evolve flightlessness. And once these, they do that, they're stuck. Yeah, these birds definitely seem like the type which have become sort of Lazarus species because, or or just extinct birds. They well, yeah, seem like they, they'd become extinct quite easily if anything they, arrived on the island because they can't I, really go anywhere. Yeah, basically, there's a, a huge amount of like island endemics which are rails because they can only just fly. That's my best guess. Um, but another part of it is, I mean, so human caused extinctions on islands are huge because they're not too big on islands anyway. And when we colonized the Polynesian islands, there was basically a rail on every one of them. We extincted about 1,800 species, which over half of them were rails, just through just from going to these places. Not even not even as colonists, as, as just people, because the islands are so small and the ecosystems, they seem resilient, but they're actually really delicate because they barely have any animals there. <laughs> There's, right. no, there's no flexibility. There's no there's no you know plasticity. You yeah, they can't receive a punch. They yeah, just, they can't take much. They're they just, just sort of gone. Stop. Yeah. Yeah. Like they, they they get to the island, they think they're safe. Within five generations, they're two inbred to fly, and then you got a new species. And that's essentially how rails work. And I was like, I was I was taking that as a as an explanation for why rails are so are so everywhere when it comes to islands. But there's another group of animals, and I had both of these in my head going around. I, I mostly like you don't mostly just sort of pick up on this when you're reading like bird books of various countries and then you see, oh, that's weird. But another thing like rails, which you might not expect, is scops owls. Scops owls. Scops owls. There are about 60 scops owls in the genus Otis, um, which make up the family uh, Strigidae, which is a very widespread family of, of owls. And I'm going to read you a few names of scops owls. You've got giant scops owl, white-fronted scops owl, mountain scops owl, typical stuff. Then pretty soon, you get to stuff like the Luzon scops owl, the Mindanao scops owl, the Javan scops owl, the Sao Tome scops owl, the Maheli scops owl, the Socotra scops owl, the Ryukyu scops owl, the Moluccan scops owl, the Enago scops owl, the Mentawai scops owl, the Raja scops owl, the Seychelles, the Mauritiana, the Singhi, the Sokoke, the Bangai, the Raja, the Everett's, Palawan, Wallace's, the, the Solomon Island scops owl. There are maybe like just a fuck ton of scops owls which all just live on these islands for no discernible reason whatsoever there's no other no other owls often often no other birds of prey often fuck all to eat and there's just a scops owl there 
And you just, I have no idea why. Why are they getting there? Rails, it makes sense. Scop styles don't fly any more than any other owls or any more than any other bird, to my knowledge. Like they fly, are they flying around? Are they more exploratory than other birds? Like they have a different diet? I was, I was completely, I was really excited to find an answer to this. And when you Google why rails are so specios on islands, why they have so many endemics, you get like 30 papers in the last 20 years. And they're all talking about like, most of them are just talking about taxonomic reevaluations and stuff, but they do mention stuff about ecological reasons why rails might be speciating. When you Google scops owls, you get nothing. No one has any fucking idea and no one cares about why scops owls seem to be on every island on the planet. It's just about rediscoveries and, and describing species and stuff. There's no paper which actually gives you an answer. And I decided this is a good opportunity to make something up and to come up with a pet theory, which is mine and is so made Tell up. me more about scops owls. Let's get to it. Can I come okay. up with my own theory with you? Yeah, all right, all right. You can try. How about this, Sam? We can see what Henry thinks. We can see what Henry thinks. And there's, there's a little, there's another case study which I'm using to back up mm. my scop style thing. All right, but I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about them. That's, I mean, part of the reason it's interesting is that there's not that much to tell about them. They're not that different. Like, they don't, they don't seem that different to other species of owls. They're small. They're, they don't vary too much. They're often very similar to each other. Their coloration is often quite dull. It's quite speckly. They have, they're, obviously, they're nocturnal and they exhibit all typical owl traits. They're pretty insectivorous. Um, off a lot of the time, but also small mammals, frogs, reptiles. This is a lot of their prey. So that, that maybe that's one of the reasons they can live on on islands because they're quite they're quite opportunistic. Generally, like they don't need large mammals to eat. So where, where a large owl might need like a a big rat or something, this guy can live off a frog. Maybe that's mm. the reason that them over other owls. But that doesn't that was not satisfying for me. What else have we got? When did they evolve? Not nothing particularly interesting. Cis lineages to screech owls and stuff like that. This is a good example. Screech owls, a similar species, a similar family. Um, they're across most of the Americas. You don't see island endemic screech owls anywhere. Well, why not? They're almost the, they're the closest relatives. Like, what, what's going on here? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm trying to read you more to give you, to give you stuff. I think I'm gonna get to the bit which I'm gonna use. They're mostly monogamous. Um, they're altricial, uh, which means that they, they're just not the opposite of precocial. Basically, they, they kind of stick to one partner. Um. They okay. This is the interesting part. Their song is a little bit special compared to most owls in the sense that their song they usually only have one song. Most owls have a few different songs. Right. They only tend to have one song, and it varies greatly. What do the songs tend to mean? Um, they're they're generally just uh mating calls. So it's often like whistles or high pitched hoots. Um, like they have these short phrases, but they're really variable. And they're, they're just regular bird vocalizations. They're mostly just to communicate with each other to find a mate. That's the only right. reason that owls. So really they're cool. monogamous. They have their own. Is this be- between individuals or between species? Have their own quite varied calls? Between species. And the way you look for new species of scops owls is you go as far as you can into the mountains of Sao Tome or, or the Solomon Islands or Java and you just listen. And that's how they rediscover species. That's how they describe species sometimes. Okay, so this was the interesting bit, was that they've got... I think it is. ...unique calls. I'll tell you why. In a bit, if you have... It's quite complicated. Well, I'm, I mean, so they... Okay, so they arrive on the island, they've got unique calls. Well, what that would seem to be... Well, logically, you would go, maybe they're not hanging out with other birds or they're sticking to their own island because they're only, they're only able to communicate with people of 
basically exactly the same species, right? Yeah, pretty much. But does yeah, that... yeah. So, what, so what, what kind of thing would that lead to? But I don't see why you can't get because I'm presuming with other owls that you could get pretty exploratory members of the species, right? I mean, if they can fly somewhere else, surely they would. Really, like if they bring their mate with them, what's wrong with living in the Philippines as opposed to, you know, I don't know. That's a big. Like, that's a question. That's Hawaii. a big question. You know what I mean? I think the answer is about whether a species can quickly diverge from what it previously was. We want something where the owls can quickly separate, and that they have no reason to stay with their like. They, but they need you know, to be almost something that's restrictive to staying in the same location. Maybe. Right. Yes, pretty much. So what, what would, what's it? So it's not necessarily, so there's disruptive selection and the stabilizing selection with the, with the rail, you're getting kind of disruptive selection when you go on the island because that, that you're, you're diverging, you're actively selecting out having these flight muscles because it's an energy cost, but maybe it might not be that way around. It might be there's a constant stabilizing selection on your previous population where where you you're keeping away from diverging you're staying the same because if you diverge too much bad things happen when you get to the island once that stabilizing selection is gone that allows you to drift right it might not be that the island gives you something it might mean that you lose something mm. that's kind of what i'm getting at and i'm going to i'm going to take you to my example here which is anoles norops anoles in particular but also anolis anoles um, they're a group of lizards and they are pretty much the default group of lizards. Like if you're on holiday in like a tropical island and you see you see a lizard, might mm. probably gonna be an anole. Anoles are fucking everywhere, especially in the New World in the Americas. They're so common. And um, on top of that, they are so, so fucking diverse. I think they're one of the most diverse genuses, especially within reptiles at least. They're so, so split. Like in any one location, in any one forest, you're probably going to have 20 different anoles that you could feasibly see. And you move 10 kilometers north and there's 20 different anoles. You have to catch them and they all look exactly the same. Like their coloration is completely, it can be so variable, but also it's all just variations on brown and tan and sometimes green and stuff like that. They're so difficult. There's no markings you can use, but there is a surefire way where you can tell pretty much any anole apart from any other anole, right? And it's very, very useful. And it's the same reason that the anoles can tell which anole you are. <laughs> because you got to forget that, like, if we can't tell apart the species, neither can they. And they need a way to tell apart these species. They need a way to know if I can fuck you or if I can't fuck you. Right, That's otherwise important. you get, you know, hybrids, otherwise, which are well, generally yeah. infertile. And the way that they know is through a sexual selection trait, a sexual display trait called the du the dewlap. You might be familiar with this. You know those lizards that go... Yes, okay, yes. They have a flap of skin, which they can extend on their throat. They can sort of pull a muscle and it, fl it flaps out. It's like, it's perpendicular. To, I mean, you can see on the video, which is nice. It's perpendicular to, to their throat and it's like a sort of sheet. And it, it just sort of stands up, it stands erect, and it's really noticeable. And they do it to display to each other a lot. Right. So they'll they'll display to females, but they'll also display to competing males. And the signal, it was originally thought, the signal was basically saying, you know, here's a bright color, go away, I'm scary. But now uh, it's a like... A lot of animals do that. But I'm a human, you know. Well, it might be part, part of I it might be... I am not a chimpanzee. Is like, that... 
Like if I'm looking, if I'm on a tree, right, and I see another Renault on the other tree, and it's another dude, and I'm thinking, hey, this is my tree. We're getting a bit close. This is my territory. I want to scare you off. I'll do my dewlap, and it's bright blue. And if he does his dewlap, and it's yellow, I'm like, ah, oh, I don't give a fuck. Stay there. You're chill. You're not competing with me. But if oh. your dewlap's blue as well, I'm gonna, I need to fucking go and get rid of you because you're now competing with me. Because in a, in a sexual way, yeah. Yeah, so it's useful for that as a as a male on male display trait, but also if you're displaying to a female as well, I have blue dewlap, whatever that means to you. I love how confused I'm they available. are. Available, <laughs> add their own. Camouflage. Like they will have been like, "Hi, oh fuck, orange." Sorry, I didn't. <laughs> you know, Do you, should we just check before we uh, like? Uh, it's very awkward. <laughs> like after you've already had the one it's sort of stand. like a triple check and you're like did we check our dewlaps before yeah. oh maybe we should just not then just in case states must be really like you know yeah. anxiety inducing you're turning up and it's like shit maybe they're orange that's true and sometimes when you're like drunk and it's like you're crazy sometimes yes. blue can look like purple green can look like you know it gets a little it's a little messy right these are problems that are not have to contend with on a regular basis so, and it's the reason that dewlaps look so different from each other like if I want to, oh, because if they I wanna, need to, yeah, they need to. That that they, this is they evolved this to help each other tell each other apart. So if I want to study your knolls, I'm picking one up from a branch. I know what the fuck it is. Grab its throat, pull it out a little bit. Oh, it's bright blue with a red spot in the middle. I know what a knoll that is. Mm. Like that's that's brilliant. Mm. Or it's bright white, or it is like speckled, or like. Whatever, if there's another right. Renault in the same area that has a similar dewlap, so there's going to be selection against that. So, so it's perfect. I now. think where you're going with this is that the right. birds have got obviously this is a sexual display. Their their is, their yeah. hoot is in some way a sexual display or looking for a mate or calling to a mate or whatnot, right? Right. And the reason it's so varied and the reason it's so different from other owls is because they need to be able to show other owls that they are not of the same species or are of the same species. Sort of. I'm sort of going off the disruptive stabilizing selection thing I said earlier. So anoles are not like scops owls, very, very good at being island endemics throughout the whole Caribbean. Every Caribbean island has a different anole species. And what I'm basically saying is for anoles, I read a paper where they, they're saying that on the mainland, if you're born and you have a blue green dewlap and all your friends have blue dewlaps you might not be as successful as them because you're not a conformist you're, you're slightly sig- sussy you're slightly sussy your signal about what species you are isn't as clear conforming is the point of this sexual signal right and to that extent that's a stabilizing force everyone's going to be having the same phenotype and there's a there's a, on the graph there's like a bell curve you know you want to be close and the bell curve is constricting you want to be as close to the average as you can that's how attractive you are almost exactly once you're in a large population that applies once you've been thrown off onto an island and you're a tiny population that stabilizing selection force essentially vanishes because there's no one to compare you to so they become much more varied over time until they become a new species quite quickly because their dewlap is different like once you become isolated your dewlap color can drift and it doesn't matter so much right. because a the female doesn't have other males to choose from. So and she goes bl- bluey green will do, or bluey green yeah. with a kind of speckle will do. Exactly. Yeah. Essentially, after ten or twenty years of being away from your original population, the chances are it's going to change color a little bit. And in that situation, if you're reintroduced back into the original population, they might not recognize you at all. And that's reproductive isolation right, right there. That's the species already. 
So it's not so much the island changes you, it's the island allows you to change because there's not the constricting force, the active constricting selection on the mainland. So these owls, yeah, they don't have any constriction because they're on an island, so they have hooting drift. I think the hooting, because the hooting is similar, like, and all, all look the same, but their dewlaps are completely different and they're really weirdly varied among the genuses, among species. The owls look the same and their hoots are really varied among species. And like, that's how, that's how we tell them apart. We do the same thing that we do with the anoles. And I, I think that might be it. I think once you go onto an island, it doesn't that's matter so like much. You're copy. the only, you're the only scops owl. I'm going to fuck you. It doesn't matter if you, you gave three hoots in that series or four hoots in that series or whatever hurts range you're you in. From a mathematical point of view, you can also just say that stabilizing selection is much more powerful in large populations. Stabilizing selection and, and genetic drift are kind of yeah. always like at war, and the coefficients are always against each other. Large population stabilizing selection wins out, which means that like if you're mixing and having a lot of evolution, you have Hardy-Weinberg equilibrium and stuff, right? You don't get so much evolution. Small populations you can often diverge, so it's just a kind of exaggerated example of that, but it's focused on one sexually selective trait. I think this is a good, a, a pretty good explanation, at least better than anything that I've read because I haven't read anything that I could, I can't find anything explaining why scop cells might have this. Well, to me, that sounds a really good solid I answer. I think it's probably to do with the cause. And it, it, even if, even if that's bullshit, I think the in all paper is quite interesting anyway. Um, is that it? Yeah, that's, that's the extent of my facts. Island endemics, bull's pyramid, stick insects, where the pig fell off, you know. Whatever pig fell off. <laughs> You're listening to the Substandard Model, 